Welcome back to Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's podcast series, where we talk about items of interest to the small business community. Here at Inside the Vault, we always try to keep an eye to what are hot topics emerging that are of interest to small business. And over the last few days, there's been a significant amount of press about some uh, large bank failures um, between Silicon Valley Bank in California and Signature Bank in New York, along with uh, what appears to be some uh, depressed stock prices in, in other uh, institutions around the country. For that reason, we wanted to uh, be sure we got out to our audience here timely to talk about you know, what the underlying issues are behind these bank failures and, and most importantly, how Enterprise Bank has insulated itself from, from some of those issues. So with me again today um, is a, a regular guest on the podcast, uh, Chuck Lai, President and CEO of the bank. Chuck, welcome back. Morning morning so um yeah i don't think anybody saw this coming um uh from the standpoint of we all know we've been talking about on on the podcast you know inflation we've been talking about interest rate increases but we hadn't really seen any stress in the financial system uh and then these uh you know these two bank failures kind of came out of the blue so what i was interested um, in hearing from you, Chuck, since you have a lot of insight into, into the industry as a whole, is, you know, let's start with uh, kind of the basics. Um, and then we'll talk about bank balance sheets in general. But, but what's the situation here? What happened with these two banks? Well, uh, from an industry perspective, uh, and we've discussed this in the past after uh, we went through the uh, government subsidies to try to get us through the period where we were concerned about uh, illness and what have you and shutdowns. There's a lot of more cash in the banking system that's been in for a long, long time. And uh, banks have to, when they take deposits, they have that's the liability side of their balance sheet, then on the, they have to invest it somewhere or do something with it. A lot of banks uh, were not able to lend out all that extra cash that they received, so they uh, began to invest in securities, uh, treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, whatever is out there, to try to get a rate of return on the money that they were paying out deposit monies for, because uh, otherwise it's going to sit in what I call the bank's checking account, which is our account at the Federal Reserve. So... Um, from a balance sheet perspective, you're going to have your. From a bank, you're going to have your checking account at the reserve. You're going to have some buildings and assets like that. You're going to have loans, which is what generates revenue for you, and then you're going to have securities, and which are basically bank investments. Yeah, and basically the bank is taking money out of its excess funds out of its checking account and invested them in securities so it can get a better rate of return than what they're getting with their quote checking account probably not as good as what they could lending it out but so somewhere in between and they put the money to work uh, the issue was a lot of people had a lot of funds uh, you know a year or so ago and the lending environment wasn't that strong that they could use up all those funds so they chose to uh, purchase securities and when interest rates have run up as hard as they have, then the value of those securities go down. Uh, when you know you buy a security and it's got, uh, you're getting a half a, 
uh, half a percent for it. And then later on, four years later, market rate has gone to four and a half percent. The way that that um, security gets priced to get the return to the buyer up to the four and a half is to discount the principal amount. Mm -hmm. And so there's what's termed uh, unrealized losses. In other words, the difference between what you're holding it on your books for and if you sold it tomorrow, there'd be a loss. Based on where the market is at right. that point. And a lot of banks, a lot of banks have that in uh, because they had decided that um, that's what they wanted to do with that excess cash to buy those securities. Uh, at Enterprise Bank, uh, we didn't. Uh, I uh, forgave her for gave the opportunity to make a few extra basis points versus the fear of if interest rates were going to rise, you would get hurt. And uh, so we chose not to do that. Um, now that in and of itself won't create a loss. Um, it's an unrealized loss, uh, but it's realized if that security is sold. So yeah, for those banks to have to uh, incur that loss, they first it has to become unrealized because they bought it when rates were low and rates have gone up, and then second they have to be forced to sell it. When banks put a security on their on their balance sheet, they either make a determination I'm going to hold it to maturity. Or I'm going to put an inventory because I probably have to sell it relatively quickly. And you value that in two different ways, right? Right. If you put it in as inventory, it gets valued based on the fair market value of the security changing. And you run that right through your income statement and everything. If you're going to hold it to maturity, which means you're not going to get a gain or loss, you're going to sell it to the principal that you bought it for at the end of its term. That's called hold to maturity, and in that situation, the unrealized gains or losses drop directly into the equity section of the balance sheet. But for regulatory capital reasons, it's not counted as a loss or a gain until it's realized. So let's talk about the, the kind of the liability side of the bank's balance sheet, which is the depositors. Right. So, I mean, I'm somewhat speculating here, but, you know, what kind of caused this kind of demand from depositors to withdraw funds? Well, that's that's why I say in order to, to have a loss to hurt the bank, it has to, you have to have the unrealized losses and then you have to be forced to sell those held to maturity securities and rec recognize the loss. And then it does drop to your regulatory capital. In uh, Silicon Valley Bank's situation, they had a lot of uh, depositors that were in the tech field. And the tech field was taken on the chin, so it was taking some losses, and so people were starting to pull the funds out to cover their losses. And in that particular bank's circumstance, as they began to sell these securities to pay these people back, to get turn it into cash to pay the people back, they recognized these losses. Okay. And when the word got out on Wednesday, that was a significant loss, then there was a fear uh, because Silicon Valley Bank had a lot of very large depositors are all kind of like hedge funds, startup companies. People are kind of in the same circle. And honestly, the fear hit and everybody tried to withdraw their funds. Uh, they had, you know, that's a $200 billion bank and the demand for funds was $42 billion in one day. 
So almost 20, you know, 20 percent of their deposits were yanked out from underneath them right away. Yeah. What What would be the normal kind of? I'm going to call it, for lack of a better word, cascade. So you know, if there's a major, let's call it in the terminology, is a major run on the bank or a major withdrawal of deposit funds. I would think there, you know, bank would look to its cash first, then it would potentially look at its own borrowings, right, uh, and then the and last I, piece. And obviously, would be the, they uh, did that. Okay. And so they they had to have exhausted their abilities to borrow uh, at the Federal Home Loan Bank. They would have exhausted their abilities to generate broker deposits, and they ha- and they were forced to sell those. So that was kind of the last help, yeah. piece that and they could liquidate. And when you sold them, and some losses started to be recognized, and people got scared and ran, then that just caused it all to crash because now you had to sell, well, forty two billion, and if you had. You know, maybe 20% of that's underwater, unrealized losses. Well, now there goes the bank's capital. It's in trouble, and that's why they took it over. Yeah. And the bank in uh, New York, similar circumstance. It had, like a lot of banks right now, unrealized uh, losses. In that particular case, they were a crypto bank, so they were holding dollars for crypto companies. And as those companies, people started to redeem their crypto shares, they had to get their money back. And as the bank released the money, it lost its deposits. Now, the thing that both of these banks um, really violated a, a, a common sense principle in banking is, is you used uh, deposits that were potentially of a short-term nature to fund a longer-term investment. investment. And uh, you did it in uh, in a way that you used, you did too much of it. Every bank does some of it. But in this particular case, um, they just had a few depositors or a deposit base that was unlike the normal bank. A normal bank has thousands of depositors and, and you know, anyone pulling their monies out or a large group pulling their money out wouldn't, wouldn't cause something like this to occur. Like, for instance, at, at Enterprise, um, we put a rule in place early on because we have small businesses, depositors. We don't really have retail customers. So our bank is funded with with our businesses. It funds about half mm-hmm. the bank's deposits. And the other half is from, like, Federal Home Loan Bank borrowings, wholesale funds, and or broker deposits or CDs from around the country. Well, in our particular circumstance, we decided early on that we wouldn't be reliant on large depositors. So, for instance, if a depositor comes in here and we're a $300 million bank, if a, say, $25 million depositor comes in here, I will lend out $3 million of it. The other $22 million just goes in my checking account and sits there as liquidity. So, so just in case anybody just pulls it out right away, it's right there to pull out. In fact, if you look like at Enterprise Bank, like I said, we're a $300 million bank. We have $60, $65 million in our, in our quote, checking account at the Federal Reserve. And that's not because we need that much. Our fluctuations in our checking account might be 4 or $5 million in a day. So we only need to have, say, $5 million in that account. We double it just to play it safe. All the extra money just liquidity. is excess deposits from the very large depositors. So 
if something, you know, well, I said 42 million out of 200 billion took down uh, Silicon Bank, right? Well, we could take 50 million and tomorrow, if we had that kind of rush on the bank, and it wouldn't hurt us at all. So we could take the same kind of run and it would have no effect on us whatsoever. Um, Basically, Enterprise Bank's got only three asset classes, our, this liquidity, this cash, our loan portfolio, and our fixed assets. Yep, yeah. yep. And, no uh, investment portfolio. And we were smart enough not to keep a lot of it in cash and not use too much of it to try to get short-term profits that create a risk if somebody yeah. were to pull on the bank. And that makes uh, a big difference. Plus, if you look at our funding where our depositors are, you know, half of our businesses or half of our deposits come from our businesses. And most of them all have compensating balance agreements, which basically says you got a loan from us, you need to leave your deposits with us. Right. And the other half of the funding for the bank is wholesale funding, where it's a contract in place. You're not allowed to make an early withdrawal. It's If we borrow from the Federal Reserve or the Fed, or we get uh, certificates of deposit uh, through broker sources, there's a contract in place that they basically don't have the right to pull the money back. So they might see something in the newspaper that they don't like about Enterprise Bank, but they can't make a run in the bank because they can't get their money till the term is up. So because that covers half of our deposits, we don't we couldn't have this kind of a liquidity issue yeah. in, in this bank the way we set it up. Now, we could if we were trying to be greedy and try to well, extra couple pennies at the front end, but we chose to run a safe and sound bank and, and structure it differently. That was what I was going to ask you for some more of your insight on is, I mean, is this, you know, are these investment portfolios that have been built up by these banks and are now upside down because of the interest rate environment, is it is it corporate greed? Is it shareholder pressure? I mean, what's what are the kind of factors that play into this well it's got to be some kind of pressure to get the bottom line up as high as you can as fast as you can and what i don't understand is how a regulator can not say something um you know the regulators i i know for a fact that our trade association bank trade association had a discussion with our regulator and that, that said uh, a lot of these banks have these unrealized losses this is a concern and the regulators said, we don't think it's that bad. It's not a concern. Now, it's it's not a concern unless you have a run on the bank and are forced to sell those securities. Right. Um, but obviously, uh, Silicon Valley Bank got a, my understanding is they just finished their exam and got, went through an exam like two months ago and got. Passed. Yeah, mm-hmm. passed and did fine. And now you see what happened. So obviously, People weren't looking at this risk. And, and, you know, I can't sit there and tell you everybody does what we do. I mean, we truly do have a rule that says no matter how big the deposit is, um, we'll only use so much of it to to earn money on. The rest we throw in a checking account. And quite honestly, for years, not not so much the last year, but for five or six years before that, we actually lost money being conservative that way. Uh, on those particular deposits. Now, we make enough from the rest of the operation that we're right. still very profitable, but uh, we chose not to go get that little extra bit of profit to risk the liquidity of the bank. And obviously, these organizations used 
just violated that whole principle. I mean, they had too many big depositors. They used the money in ways that that they couldn't turn it back into cash without taking this risk of loss. And now they've actually lost their franchises because of, of doing it. Well, I'm guessing that has a lot to do with, you know, corporate culture, too. I mean, you know, we've always been set up not for short-term profits, but for long-term viability and growth. Yeah. Um, let, let me ask you, yeah, so kind of interesting kind of dichotomy here. You've got, you know, the Fed pushing up interest rates to slow down the economy and slow down inflation. And now you've got those interest rate increases hurting a couple of major institutions. Do you see any backing off or moderating of the Fed's position based on these couple of bank failures, or is it just a drop in the bucket, really? Well, I think the two bank failures, uh, especially since the government and uh, came in and said, um, not only are we going to cover the 250000 deposit guarantee, we're going to cover everything. It's kind of nice of them to decide to do that with the insurance reserves that all the banks put the money into, and then they change the whole concept. But I certainly understand why they did it, and if you're one of those business owners, you're you're glad you did. But the point of it is, is there's no losses. There have been no losses that should shake up the economy. So that in and of itself, and the actual losses as a result of what's going on, this is not a systemic thing. This is a couple of banks that that violated some existing concepts, safety soundness concepts. Uh, the regulators didn't stop it, and so now you have a loss. Um, but it's not a loss that... Um, is going to hurt anybody that's a depositor. Um, it'll hurt the res- FTIC insurance reserve that we Which all Which will ultimately hurt all of us in the bank. Well, we'll all get yeah. assessed. Yeah. We'll get assessed possibly. Now, here again, that depends on how good a job the regulators do liquidating the bank. I mean, in theory, when you look at Silicon Valley Bank, the assets uh, are larger than the deposits. So um, they have to have the losses chew up all the equity and all the subordinated people uh, before our fund, in theory, gets hurt. Uh, I think if they do a prudent job liquidating the assets, there shouldn't be any hit to the fund because there's equity still in in the banks. Now, if they sell all the assets at 50 cents on the dollar and then for timeliness hurry up and clean it up and then take big losses, yes, that'll come out of the fund and it'll cause us all to get an extra assessment but that's i'm not sure that hasn't happened in the past but that's up to congress or somebody else to look at and 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 see what's going on i I mean i think the big wild card here uh in part thanks to our media (laughs) and press is consumer psyche uh, well that's that's what will happen that's where from a recessionary or an interest rate or economy perspective it's the it's the uh change in in consumer spending. Consumer spending drives a lot of our economy. And if people uh, get nervous as a result of these two outliers, uh, then it could well have an effect. Um, Otherwise, it shouldn't have any effect at all. But the psychological aspect of things in the economy is actually a very big thing. So... Um, I think you see the economy, uh, if you look at this like a week ago today, 
you would be looking and you'd sell the jobs economy created 300,000 plus jobs it was a strong month um, I think you'd have been looking at the Fed going a half another half a point pushing things up to slow it down some more um, with this psyche out there which probably will have effect but maybe yes maybe no that's the thing that's what makes it so hard for them right. to make judgment calls as to what to do with interest rates but um, Thinking that this could have some psychological effect on spending, maybe they'll reduce it off of the 50 and go down to 25. I think the market is already anticipating it be zero because of that psyche. So, yeah. who knows? I mean, this is this is why the 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 work that the Fed does is not it's art and science combined. There's no real white and black here when they make these decisions there's a, there's a, an art to it more than than a science i think yeah. so well the other thing that's happening as always happens in washington is they're weaponizing this issue for political oh, yeah. purposes i mean you know that what we've been hearing out of the current administration is you know this is all because we repealed banking regulations or cut back on banking rep- regulations in the prior administration none of those have changed it's all about how they're managed and enforced, right? Absolutely. Um, the concept of what I just talked about, the concept they violated, that they used too much of large depositor monies in a way that, that, that created risk. Uh, none of those regulations that were rolled back address that. Address that issue directly. And, and, and it's like a standard operating procedure. It's something that small banks and large banks have to worry about it had nothing to do with the rollback of doing stress testing and things like that at a different level if you're 50 billion versus 250 billion this concept of of using deposits this way in an unsafe way is there for every bank today and every day and uh, those rules have no effect whatsoever it's it's good political gamesmanship for people that are ignorant but other than that, it, there's no value to that whatsoever. And I sometimes it makes you mad in the industry because, you know, the funny thing is, is when you look at what's going on when you change those regulations and put more regulations on the smaller companies, look, look at what's happening. You put them out of business. And if you look at a, a Senator Warren or, or Senator Sanders, you know, they're always pushing hard against the largest banks. You know who gets helped when they push these regulations down? The larger banks. If you see people with the Silicon Valley Bank going under and the other, what, what are people saying? I'm going to go to a bigger bank because I know the government can't allow them to fail. So the motivation of what they say and what they do actually do the opposite. And they, can't fi- and they don't seem to be able to figure that out. Yeah. Um, it's a shame because it really puts the smaller banks at a disadvantage and uh, pushing those regulations down. You know, it's funny. When you are a small bank, especially a family-run small bank, that's your life. You don't need a regulation to tell you what's safe and sound versus not. Maybe if, you're, money. <laughs> Wall, maybe if you're a Wall Street person yeah. and it's not your money, you, you take risks. But to put a regulation on a family bank the same as you do a Wall Street bank, it makes no sense whatsoever, none. And it shows you're ignorant of how human nature works 
in a business. Yeah. So if I'm a if I'm a consumer and I'm a depositor and 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 I have concerns. We live in a world where data is readily available on all financial institutions. What should somebody be looking for in the financial statements or the information available on a bank? Considering the dynamic we're in right now. Well, the FDIC uh, posts all the financial information for all the banks. Uh, you can go in and look at a balance sheet, an income statement. You can see who's making money, how much capital they have, how they've performed over a period of time. If they have a significant investment in these yeah. bonds and marketable securities. Yep. Yep. yep, and you can look and see. Well, it's very easy to look in the balance sheet and see if they have unrealized losses. So you look in the, in, the, in the balance sheet and see if there's unrealized losses, and then if there are, then you go look and see, well, what makes up their deposits? Are they large depositors, or are they made with a whole bunch of people that are in the community? If it's if the deposits are spread out amongst thousands and thousands of people, well, those unrealized losses aren't going to get forced uh, to be recognized. They're going to leave those securities stay on until they mature, and then they'll start over again. Um, so you have to look for two things. You have to look and see who has unrealized losses and then see who has a higher probability that there could be a run in the bank or they're losing their deposits because of the way they're structured. You know, you start to look at, uh, you know, a, a larger bank, like say PNC, you know, they have a lot, a lot of depositors in place. They probably have this same issue where they have a lot of unrealized losses. But they're never going to have to realize them because of the way they've been very smart about their de generating their deposits and how they put those deposits to work. It's a very well-run bank. They're not going to have that issue. And so you can actually go in and look for those kind of things if you want to. It's all public information from, from that the regulators put out. So in summary, it's a really different dynamic that caused um, these two outlier banks to fail than what we were used to seeing in the Great Recession that was more credit quality driven, which is in history typically what brings a bank down is its credit quality. This is just a different dynamic. Yeah, I mean this particular bank, the, the Silicon Valley Bank, had no credit quality issues at all. But here again, that's what you have to really look through things. You have to understand uh, so many people check the box and and they miss things like like at Enterprise Bank, a lot of um, uh, people that rate banks look at things like the Texas ratio and things like that. Our Texas ratio is 25 times what is acceptable to most banks. It actually predicts that we've been going out of business for 20 years. Yet, as you know, we do things differently and our actual losses have been half of what our peer group is. So while this ratio says we have 25 times as much risk as somebody else, the reality is over a long period of time, our losses are half of what everybody else's is. Now, that's what you should look at, yeah. but investment bankers don't. I mean, in our particular case, we're a Texas ratio is basically uh, delinquencies and repossessed assets over your capital. And it's usually a good predictor of when a bank's getting in trouble. Except in our particular case, we deal with startup businesses and businesses in distress. Well, of course we're going to have more delinquencies than others because we're helping people when they're having a rough time. 
On the other hand, if we're good about what we do and we've collateralized it appropriately, then we won't recognize the losses. So in this particular case, the predictor says there's a problem when it's not a problem in our business plan because we're helping people get through a rough patch. If ultimately we never realize the loss and we get these people back on their feet again, then that's really what banking's all about. Right. So again, you have to find somebody that uh, you take a look at things, but you really have to understand the industry to, to know what's going on because um, just checking the box uh, for some ratings person puts down doesn't necessarily give you an accurate picture of what's going on. You have to do your homework yeah, yourself and understand is, what's going on. And this is a great example, two examples of that, that things look fine on paper and yeah. circumstances um, change and risk is there and it emerges and people get hurt. <laughs> In both of these, it's the same thing. Yeah. In both of these, they don't have... They, the deposits spread out over a larger, larger group, and so they're at risk for that run much more so than the typical bank. And they should have been planning for that risk, and they didn't. Yeah. Interesting times. Chuck, thanks for the insight, as always. For those of you uh, listeners and viewers, if you have any questions or suggestions for future topics, you can email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com. And you can check us out on all the major podcast platforms and in video format on YouTube. Thank you very much.